to break the bat. So rather he just said that to build me up, to psych me up, I don't know, but I'm going to leave that at that. He may have softened it up. Whatever he did, it worked. He psyched me up. The bat got broke. But if I let anybody misbelieve, let anybody misbelieve that I'm some Hercules, that I'm not. But thank you guys. You guys did help. All the, all the shouting and the cheering, it did build me up. But rather I did it on my own, that's up to you to decide. I'll leave it at that. All right, kids, you can be dismissed. We've been talking about the way, the truth, and the life. So since last time was the truth, I really thought it was important that I better share that part before we got too deep. Um, been reading out uh, John 14. And if you'll bring that up. John 14, 1 through 6. This is the new, we're going to read out a new King James Version here. It says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. We could almost just stop right there. There's, there's three steps towards life in Christ right there. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe in Jesus. All right, verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. But doubting Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where we are, you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Everybody say the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Lord, have your way this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that your power will be on the inside of me. Father, Lord, whenever my words fall short, whenever I fumble, that the power of your living Holy Spirit will fill in the gap. Have your way in this place. Let this not be my message, but yours, Father. I speak under your power and your authority. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. So we talked about the way, that Jesus is the way, and that was... You know, John the Baptist, we use that story as the, as the springboard where John said, prepare the way for the Lord who's coming. And the way was repentance. So the, the first session we talked about how repentance, no matter where we're at, there's always a time. And repentance is, you know, it is a complete 180 degree turn from which way you're going, from the bad towards the good. But change is not always a bad thing. We talk about you may be doing what seems to be everything right in your life. You may be just doing everything you're supposed to be doing, but when God whispers change, regardless of what the circumstance is, it's time to turn. And that was an important step in recognizing Jesus as the way. Even when everything's going smooth, we're in our comfort zone, all is well, but whenever Jesus whispers change, that's the way. Regardless of what you think your way is, that's the way. And then we went on to the truth. And how we recognize that Jesus set the standard of truth. And we use the example of being sitting in a parked car and all of a sudden a big bus starts moving beside you. And there's that just moment of turmoil when you just lose all focus. You don't know whether you're moving, it's the bus moving. You start slamming on the brake even harder even when you've already got there. But there's a moment of just total confusion and chaos. And we talked about that that's what life would be if we didn't have Jesus as our standard of truth. 
Jesus is the truth. Now we're today we're going to talk about Jesus being the life. Um, the very first definition that I found of life is the quality that distinguishes a vital and functional being from a dead body. One more time. The quality that distinguishes a vital and functioning being from a dead body. So now let's reword that. If Jesus is the life, he told us he is the life. So Jesus is what distinguishes us from being just a dead body. Without Jesus, you could be walking around. We, we went to this uh, youth conference several years ago, and they had these shirts that said, ex-zombie. And, and that's what we as Christians are. You know, and they had a scripture on, on the underside of it, so kids could, if they were sharing the gospel, they could kind of turn the bottom of the shirt in and see the scripture. They talked where we were once dead in sin, but now we're alive in Christ. But that's what Jesus does as being, as being alive. He is the defining quality between us being a walking around zombie, dead body, versus being a vital, functioning being. Um, We'll, stick, we'll go to, let's go to Matthew 3. Um, we, we've been going in, out, in and out of Matthew 3 there with John the Baptist. But I'm just going to share just a short bit in that this morning. I'm going to start with verse 11. Um, now I'm reading now the, the message version. Verse 3, this is John the Baptist. He says, I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. The real action comes next. The main character in this drama. Compared to him, I'm a mere stagehand. He will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. He's going to clean house. Make a clean sweep of your lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God. Everything false, he'll put out with the trash to be burned. That's life right there. When we accept Jesus into our life, into our life, and we become the life of Jesus. And it will, in the New King's James Version, it talks about, um, can you bring that up real quick, Brody? The New King James Version, Matthew three twelve, I believe. It says, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chafe with unquenchable fire. And we talked several months ago about the Jebusite spirit. There's a evil Jebusite spirit that can get a hold of us that tells us we're not worthy. We're not worth it. It tells you you're not good enough, and it will beat you down. And, and they relate, that's related, that comes from where they use the oxen to thresh the grain and to separate it. And that's what that Jebusite spirit will try to do to us. It will try to throw us on the floor and just beat us and trample us. But what's that say right there? Jesus will pick us up. He will pick up his wheat. That's us. He will pick us up off of the beaten floor. After you've been beat down and thrown down and stomped on, when you accept the give life gift of Jesus, he picks you up off the threshing floor. And he will set you in his barn. I don't know about you, but I think it's going to be the nicest barn that I've ever seen in my life. 
And one of these days, we're going to get a glimpse of it. Let's turn, we're going to switch gears here. Let's go to Romans, Romans 5. It's going to be a lot of scripture reading here, so nudge your neighbor and say, stay awake. But how many knows that's where the power is at? If I say the power is in the word. The power is in the word. Romans 5, and I'm going to start with verse 12. I'm still in the message version. It says, you know the story of how Adam landed us in this dilemma we're in. First sin, then death. And no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with good and with God in everything and everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even though even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by the disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Yet the rescuing gift, everybody say the rescuing gift, is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead-end abyss of separation from God, just think, just think what God's gift poured through one man, God's gift poured through one man, Jesus Christ will do. There's no comparison between that death-dealing sin and his generous life-giving gift. Life-giving gift. That is exactly what Jesus is to each and every one of us. He is a life-giving gift. There's no comparison. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery that life makes? Sovereign life. Those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right that one man, Jesus Christ, provides. Did you guys catch that? Both hands. Grasping. So many. How many has ever seen a kid get real excited, whether it's a birthday or Christmas, run wrapping gifts, they get one they really like. There's a whole bunch more over there, but they don't really want to let go of that one. They may even touch it and start it, but they don't want to let go of that other one. Same way with us. We've been giving a life-giving gift, but you have got to let go of everything of the old, and you've got to grasp it with both hands. God wants every single bit of us. He says, I did. I paid the ultimate price. I gave you my son, Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate gift, the best gift. It's worthy to be held with both hands. Let go of everything. Give it all you got. And tear into that gift. Unwrap that gift of life that I have given to you and my son. Both hands. Both hands. 
Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us all in this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting out of his trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many in the wrong, but one man said yes to God and put many in the right. Are you guys glad that one man said yes? One man said yes to you. One man said yes to you. One man said yes to you. And every one of us now are capable of unwrapping the gift of life through one man who said yes. Praise God that Jesus said yes. Thank you, Lord, that you said yes. I said, I said that our, it's like a, a, a death sentence. I've gave this illustration before, but I don't think you can wear this one out. I love this. We spend our lives, we start out this white part's birth and being a kid, and you get to the little black part. That's kind of our teenage years. Things get a little dark. We're trying to figure out and find ourselves. Then we start figuring things out. We start working. We work all this time. We work and we work and we work. We save and we save and we save all for this one little spot here at the end that's almost as smaller, smaller than any of the rest for retirement. We put all of our focus on that one little area. That's what it's talking about. It says that's where you're at. That's the death penalty. But it says that we got a life sentence. It said that we got a life sentence, and it says that it's a world that goes what? On and on and on and on. We live our lives for, for more than just this. We live our lives for more than just 10 years of retirement. When we accept the life-giving gift of Jesus Christ, and when we grab it with both hands, and we unwrap it for all of its worth, then life goes on. And it goes on, and it goes on, farther than we can ever imagine. Don't live our life just for this. Don't live our life just for this tad bit when God's got an eternity waiting for us. An eternity beyond our imagination. A life that goes on and on and on. Romans 6. So what do we do? Do we keep on sinning? It's talking about... Oh, I skipped quite a bit there. So all that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. I'm in Romans 5.20, Brody. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in comparison with the aggressive forgiveness that we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins Hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death. And that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into a life. A life that goes on and on and on, world without end. So what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is foreign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we, we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. We came out of the water. We entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. 
grace, a new life in a new land. Down to verse 6. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin, miserable life. No longer it sins every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get including in his life-giving resurrection. His life-giving resurrection. In John eleven twenty-five, Jesus was telling Martha, he said, I am the life. And I am the resurrection. The resurrection is just not a period of time that he went through. It's not just a circumstance that Jesus had to go through. It's who he is. It's who he is. Everything that he touches. As long as he's not cursing it, everything that Jesus touches is rebirth. New life. Resurrection. That includes each and every one of us. And I'm telling you, he's not going to be cursing us. But when we accept him... It's new life, resurrected life, and it's parallelism. It's saying that we're a part of that. It's saying that we did die with him, that we are resurrected with him. That means that same power, that same authority, we now have the ability to pass on the resurrection through him, through his love, through his story, through his message, through the gospel, we are now empowered to share resurrection life. We have the power to walk to a stranger and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and give them resurrected life through him. Not by our might, but by his power. But it is on the inside of us because we have received the life-giving gift that God has for us. That comes with a price and that comes with a responsibility to do so. How many has ever re-gifted a gift before? Come on. How many? We're all cheapskates. We've all done it. It's all right. But it's, this is telling us we got free reign. We're called to re-gift this gift. We can't outgive it. It will never get wore out. It will never get old. The packaging will never get damaged. It's not about the, the, the bowls and, and what's on the wrapping paper, but it's the message that's inside. And we can re-gift that, and we can re-gift that, and we're called to re-gift that and to pass it on and on and on. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end, of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother language and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Death has no power. Sin has no authority in your life. No longer. It can nab at you and it can can pull at your pant leg. But it has no power and no authority to bring you down with it. There's nothing that can void the gift of the gifted life that came from Jesus Christ. There's nothing that can void that except for you letting go of it. Sin cannot take it from you. It can nag at you. It can try to pull you down, but it does not have the power and the authority to take it. You're the only one that has that authority in your life. You have every authority and every power to set sin 
in its rightful place through the authority in Jesus Christ and the life-giving gift that we have received. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly in full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. Verse 22 says, But now, now that you've found, you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do and have discovered the, the delight of listening to God telling you what a surprise. A whole, healed, put together life right now with more and more of life on the way. Work hard for sin in your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our master. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When we receive this gift, and we unwrap it with both hands. We are then grafted in to the body of Christ. We are grafted in to an inheritance beyond. John 14 says, I go and prepare a place for you. We've now got a vacancy in that place. When we unwrap that gift. It says that we were, we were crucified with him when we were, resur- we were resurrected with him. But there are so many of us. We're still standing in an empty tomb with bloody garments still wrapped around us. The door's wide open. We've received the gift. We're resurrected, but we refuse to take off the old rags. We're afraid of what's outside that stone wall. It's God's works this morning. My life, the life that I have prepared for you, my gift is waiting outside that stone wall for you. Unwrap it with both hands. Both hands. Let go of everything that's in your past. And I know maybe there's some good things in your past. Maybe you liked going to the, to the bars on Friday nights and drinking with the buddies. You liked going out on Friday nights and Saturday nights and hunting and fishing all night and, and throwing back a 12-pack. Some things that we like to do in our old life. But God says, both hands. So we got to let go and grab it with both hands. You can't be one foot in the grave and one foot out. You've got to step all the way out. He says, I've done it. I've offered it. I give it to you. I've even rolled out the stone. All you got to do is walk out it. Each and every one of us. All we got to do is walk out the grave this morning. We are resurrected in Christ Jesus. We are new life. We are his resurrection. We are gifts for each and every one of us. Get it off the shelf. Get it out of the closet. Put it to use and re-gift it. Take all you can get out of it and re-gift it. He don't care. That's what he's telling you to do. Take it for all of his worth and pass it on. And pass it on. And pass it on. And let's all gather in the place that I have for you. 
There is plenty of room, he says. Gather all your friends. Get out of the tomb. How many knows Christmas, with a little cliche here, Christmas is not about the gifts, but it's about the gift. The gift that God gave to us. Let's challenge all of us to take slow down a little bit this season. This season hits us harder and faster than I think any other. And I mean it's it's here and we're just busy, busy, busy. Let's slow down and enjoy the true meaning, the true gift. Let's get in his presence. Let's get in his presence this holiday season. And that's what our Wednesday nights is about coming up. That's what it's going to hopefully help us get us focused on that. It's called Unwrapping the Names of Jesus. It's set up as an Advent study. There is uh, one week is hope, one per, uh, per preparation, joy, and love. But each week we're going to take, I think, five names each week of Jesus. We're just going to unwrap them. And we're going to dwell on those names of Jesus and what they truly mean. So when you see the lights twinkling on the tree, you know that he is the light. Just a little glimpse of us just to slow down and recognize what all these things mean. They're all in place for a reason. We just kind of forget about it and just do it out of... So that's what Wednesday nights is. Uh, come and join us for Wednesday nights. Uh, Brandy will lead the upstairs class. I'll head off the first week downstairs and we'll go from there. But uh, we'll have a book for everybody to, to read during this and then turn it in at the end. Um, but we're going to unwrap the names of Jesus. It's going to have some... Some study time on your own to read through those names. We'll, we'll break into them. We'll scratch the surface in class. But then we're challenging everybody to go home and really dwell into those names of Jesus each day. It's not about the gifts. How many knows that Christmas wasn't always about wrapping paper and bows and lights and trees. And it didn't always smell like mom and dad's house and grandma's and turkey and ham. Didn't always smell like that. And that's why you want to come back next Sunday when Patrick's going to be talking about the aromas of Christmas. We don't want to miss that. Lord, I pray that somebody got something out of of this, Lord. I love you and I honor you. Lord, I pray that we will all take the time to truly, truly unwrap with both hands the gift that you have given us through your son, Jesus Christ. And understand the true meaning of it. We just love you and we honor you, Lord. We give you all praise and we give you all glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Thank you, Jesus. Wasn't that a good one? Hallelujah. Appreciate that, Curtis. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And this is why that you and I, we, we're called upon, and, and again, Curtis, I never thought about the lights on the Christmas tree until you mentioned it. I did a message one time on, on the Christmas tree. And uh, the Christmas tree we use as, as a pine or a evergreen because it, it indicates everlasting life. But the lights in him was the light of men and the light was Jesus Christ. And the light shined into the darkness and illuminated every one of our lives. So I appreciate that life of Christ that lives on the inside. Amen. Shall we all stand? And the only reason you and I have life, Kurt, if you would come right now, Harold, I would just like to go back and just sing, Oh, the blood of Jesus. That is the only reason that you and I have life. But just as a way.